five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. on the internet all right that uh that goes out to you know who fantastic who had requested that song i guess repeatedly over the last week or so and i knew that i knew she had requested that and uh i just kind of put it aside right I mean, actually, because I have so many plates that I spin on a daily basis, um, I actually thought it was the, uh, what is it, the FYI or FII track from the same record, which is The Nightfly by Donald Fagan, that I was ready to actually play that track. But then I was reminded yesterday that it's Walk Between Raindrops, which is about as close to a love song as you'll find in the Donald Fagan Celia Dan catalog. They don't sing about love. Fagan does not sing about love. But in that song, you can tell that somebody touched his heart in Miami. That he was in a place where they were walking between the raindrops all the way to her door back to Donald. A touching song by Donald Fagan and Celia Dan. However, I'm here to render the verdict as good as the song is, as lovely as it is, it is not yacht. That is not a yacht track. And, ha- and by the way, I have no problem playing the song because, of course, one of, our, one of our peeps, one of our beloved peeps wanted to request it and did request it. And it's close enough to yacht. It's in Miami. A bunch of yachts in Miami. So it's close enough, right? But... I would, I would probably choose another Donald Fagan song to be on the Deep Yacht list over on YouTube. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's 15 Minutes of Flame. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast side of things, you're probably just tuning in now. You don't get to hear the opening track because I can't play that across the various networks that the uh, podcast is syndicated on. So um, you can come over here, 15 Minutes of Flame. And you could watch the show live if you want. But if you don't, that's fine anyway. Uh, Catching on the podcast side of things is always, it's uh, almost as good as being here live. And uh, it's the way I used to do it a long time ago anyway. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about my relationship with with the yacht genre. And then we're going to go into pretty intensely, I guess, as much as we can the whole um, raid on Mar-a-Lago and the war on the American people, which is really what's happening now. This is a war on the American people. Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones, January 6th. I mean, they're making a very clear statement about this is where 
we want to bring the, the, the tip of the spear. It's no longer Afghanistan. Once, once they left Afghanistan, they, not we, because I don't fucking identify with any of that shit, so I'm going to say they. Once they left Afghanistan, it was, it was easy math, right? Who, where, where was it going to go? Well, it wasn't going to go to Ukraine because we don't theoretically have troops in Ukraine. We sent a shit ton of money to Ukraine. But here in the homeland, it finally morphed. It all started with, quote unquote, Islamic terrorists in the Middle East. And then they turned that ship around. Right? They started turning that aircraft carrier and that narrative around. And that started to happen during the Obama administration. And eventually it morphed into where we are now, which is um, the war against Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, that's really what, it, what it's boiled down to at this point. And, and I do think that um, there are very bad actors on both sides. And there are bad actors on the kind of pro-American side that are, that are baiting this whole thing. Okay, so there's a lot of baiting going on, and uh, there are there are people who are getting caught up in the the duality and the crossover. Now, again, I'm going to be really clear. Like, if I was going to have to pick a Hatfields and McCoy side, like you're not going to be able to be in the middle because you'll get caught in the crossover. It's just the way it is. If you can't opt out and do something else, you know, I I recommend it because the duality game is a trap. However, that said, one side is clearly uh, kickstarting this thing in a much more satanic affair. And that would be the so-called left, who've done everything in their power to uh, empower and enable uh, the, the absolute worst parts of our society. Sorry, it's the way it is. Um, the so-called right has it's, it's role to play here by enabling the enablers and doing the hand-wringing about why things are so bad. And there's, you know, the, the, but to be fair, that side doesn't have very many recourses of action. I'll talk about that later, and I've talked about it before. But if, you know, if it was a Hatfield and a McCoy side, I, you know, I'd be on probably, uh, let's say the Hatfields are the left and the McCoys are the right, I'd probably be on the McCoy side only because there are limits, right? There are limits, there, there is a, a more, what I would call orthodox brand of morality, which has to do with certain things that are inviolate. They're just inviolate. Because once you violate the inviolate, then do as thou will and anything goes, which is what we're seeing in our, in our society now. And it's running rampant like a virus, and, it, and it's 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 uh, it's corrupting the system. And we see this with uh, the uh, drag queen. We're from drag queen story hour to bring your kid to the fucking bar and play around with the drag queens and let's have some fun. I mean, if you think about it now, it's genius. It's a genius ploy by uh, the, uh, the satanic termites that are writing that part of the script. It's a genius ploy to move it from 
the libraries into the nightclubs. And bar this is what's happened. So what does that do? Well, first of all, it gives a bunch of reprobate adults, whether they're uh, the parents of the kids or the grandparents of the kids or whatever, it gives a bunch of reprobate adults the uh, pleasure and leisure of taking their kids to a fucking bar so they could have a glass of wine or a wine cooler or a fizzy fuzzy drink or whatever, right? It's like, no, let's recreate. I'll take my, if I want a drink, I can take my kid to the bar. That's exactly part of the script, right? It's, it's socializing. It's let's go, oh, the drag queens are just fun. They're just fun. You know, when I grew up in San Francisco, the Bay Area, there was this place called Finocchio's. And Finocchio's was a noted uh, bar for drag queens. I mean, they had a floor show and everything, right? And people would love to go to Finocchio's because you'd have these drag queens and they'd dress up like Barbara Streisand and do torch songs. It, it was sort of like um, cross-dressing karaoke. That's what it was like. I never went. I didn't think, I, I've never been drawn to the whole drag thing. It's just, it, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get, like, I knew people that would go on Halloween and dress up as women on Halloween. I never did that shit. I never, it never occurred to me to go, oh yeah, I, I, want, I want to dress up as the Susan Sarandon character from Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's like, fuck, no. We have to. Uh, we got somebody calling me. Hold on. Hello. Hi, it's Robert. I'm good, Vanessa. How are you doing? Good, good. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a, a update on the uh, on the roster today for the event. Oh, great. Well, we're we're looking forward to seeing you, and and uh, I guarantee you'll have a great time at the event. Yeah, and I'll reach out to you once I do our roster update today. I'll give you a text, okay? Yeah, you're welcome. Bye-bye. It's filling up. Our event here in October is filling up. Sorry, I took the call. Normally, I don't take the call, but I took the call because I felt like I needed to take the call. And you were here. And it was a good call. It was a good call. Um, I never understood the whole track thing. It just never... Like, I, I remember watching Milton Berle as a kid on TV. You know, I was, it was, I was young, but I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Why is he dressed up like a woman? And then everybody loved Flip Wilson as Geraldine. Now, I even laughed at that shit. I laughed at Flip Wilson as Geraldine. I thought that was funny. I thought Flip Wilson was funny. You know, the devil made me do it kind of guy. You know, he, he was the original version of Richard Pryor on network TV. And then they wanted to have Richard Pryor do like a Flip Wilson kind of show, and that didn't work out very well because Richie Pryor uh, basically had this intense love-hate relationship with everybody. He loved everybody and he hated everybody. But that's another story. 
Um, yeah, but the whole drag thing, right? So now you get to bring your kids out like it's fucking Pinocchio's in San Francisco and it's wholesome fun and let's bring your drag queens out and uh, let's, um, you know, let's have uh, a few drinks and a few cocktails and, oh, let's let the kids do some pole dancing. Oh, that's fun too. Why not? It's all just fun and games. They get to explore creative side of themselves and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you get people who have no relationship to those kids. And I, I've, I've seen some of these videos. And you've got these old fucks who are in the bar drinking. What do you think they're doing? Oh, yeah. They're kind of leering. And they're looking at this whole thing. And, you know, who knows what kind of relationship in their minds or their bodies they're developing with those experiences. This is where we are now. And this is part of the internal, this is part, part of the attack. They are part of the front line, right? This whole thing has been designed as a strategy to wear us down, to wear down our, uh, our attention, our concentration, to make us uh, angry and frustrated and put it in our face. And now I went to uh, James Lindsay's YouTube channel yesterday and he had a live stream about being canceled from Twitter. And it's because he used the word groomer. And now Twitter has banned the use of the word groomer. Reddit has banned the use of the word. You can't use groomer now. And then he came up with a different name for, you know, what they, uh, you know, what they are theoretically, not even theoretically, what they're doing. Um, and he got banned for that. He's got a lifetime ban. I listened to that yesterday. So this is what happens, right? Now they're using this as a plank to determine speech. Like they just, ex ex they just excise that word, groomer, in that particular context. What's going to happen when you take your, your dog to the, to the pet groomer? Oh, I'm sorry, we don't, use, we don't use that word anymore. Because it's defensive to people who might be groomers. It's like, you know... What, what, what are they, dogs? So they're going to have to change their name. Uh, what, canine esthetician. I mean, this is where we are right now. So this, we're, we're, it, we are in a war, and it, it is a war that is not as front-facing as troops on the ground. But there are troops on the ground, and they're wearing mascara, fake tits, fake hair, butt injections, and they're lip-syncing to Beyonce, to your eight-year-old and nine-year-old, and having you put dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, uh, into their fake bustier. This, this is part of it. It's not, it's not the entirety, but it's part of it. And this is where Trump comes into play, because this is another part of the war. Whether you are leaning in on the they hate Trump, they hate America, they hate Americans, and we're gonna, we're gonna remove this guy so that we remove the tip of the spear. Trump, they believe that Trump is the tip of the spear. So they're gonna remove that spearhead. They've already, now, who said he was the tip of the spear? Alex Jones. And did they remove him for all intents and purposes? Yes, I don't know what he's talking about now. I mean, Alex Jones was effectively neutered 
Now, yeah, try to get money out of them. That's a whole other thing. I mean, a lot of that shit's cosmetic. And I, I've said this before. There's no... They can have a uh, financial um, burden placed upon gems, but there's no... There's no oversight as to him actually paying. Like, there's no oversight there. So it's not like if you miss your child support payments or your alimony payments, they will come after you for that. But this is something wholly different. There's, you know, it's kind of like when the Supreme Court told uh, uh, Cuomo to open the churches and the temples up. And Cuomo basically told him to go pound sand. He couldn't do anything. Laws are, are especially when it comes to civil awards, they are rarely enforceable, rarely. So a lot of that is cosmetics. And Alex might pay $4 million. The other money, they'll probably never see the light of day with that. Now, they could continue to go down this path and continue to try to, you know, ruin Jones and put, a, put an end to uh, the whole InfoWars world, which for the most part, they, they kind of did. Right, like if you were somebody who was really wholly invested in Alex Jones and you saw that performance, you would just shake your head. And you would either come away with, number one, he's either uh, being railroaded and he's a victim which is still not a good look. It's the most sympathetic look, but it's not a good look. Or number two, it's a demoralized look, right? That's the, that's, that's the worst part. If he's a victim, you still have some empathy. If he's a victim and you don't want to see that, then it's demoralizing. So the victim allows Alex to have like a bit of an out and save some face, theoretically. But if you don't have that, then it's demoralizing. Then it's this guy that stood up for everything that you believed uh, to be true in terms of whatever rhetoric he was spouting. And I'd say about 80% of what he would spout was interesting and had a lot of uh, truth to it, bolted to it. Alex Jones is no dummy. He's a very smart guy. Um, he has an incredible grasp of, he, I think he's got a photographic memory He's an incredible grasp of white papers uh, and, you know, all this stuff that he's read. He's, he's a historian. He didn't go to college. So, you know, Alex is an autodidact. And in that, in that realm, he's almost unmatched. Seriously. And, I, and I've been doing this for a long time, and I've, I've followed Alex for off and on. I've, I've followed him more in, like, the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001, 2002, started to follow him around then. And then I, you know, I caught up more with him around 2005, 2006, so off and on. And then I, I watched a lot of Alex during the Trump thing, which is gonna lead into Trump. So trust me, okay, we're gonna get to Trump. It's all part of it though. It's all part of it. It's all part of the ongoing war. And you have to ask yourself where you know, where does Trump weigh in? Where, where does he fit in all this? And to this day, I still am of the mind that Trump is an enigma. And we will never truly really know what Trump's value and purpose is. Because I can go down one list with Trump. 
and I could list all the things that were positive. I could go down the other side of Trump and I could list all the things that were negative. And both of them could be equally true. And that gets right into his astrology with uh, his son in Gemini. Now, we've got Mars coming up here in Gemini. It's coming, right? And it's going to hit Trump's uh, sun and it's going to hit his Uranus. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. And I talked about this months ago and we were looking at October and here we go. Everything is leading up towards that. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, sometimes I kick myself in the ass for not being as thorough as I can be, but I, I, there's so much to cover when I do like my Sunday night show. And honestly, there are times when I don't want to be talking about Trump's chart. Like I'm kind of over it in some ways, but here I am, I'm getting dragged back into the conversation with this chart. If I just taken some time and looked, what would I have seen? I would have seen Uranus and Mars on his midheaven, or getting close to his midheaven, not quite there yet, but they will be. And what does he have up there? He has Algol, fixed star Algol. And in his uh, 12th house, he's got Pluto and Leo, right? So we're talking about everything happening behind the scenes, you know, the so-called Lionsgate happening in his 12th house. He, of course, is a Leo rising. So these are details, honestly, that I missed. Had I spent time and looked at them, I probably would not have missed them. So, but I hate to have to fucking go back to his chart all the time. It's like, can we move on? Can we, and I'm not even talking about the, the, the left's version of moving on. Because the left's version of moving on is the recasting of America in its true democratic form. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute, but before I do, let me go back into um, the site and let me get into Chataria and say hi and do the, uh, the, morning, the morning meet and greet. All right, who do we have here? We've got Tomas, what's going on, Tom? Good to see you, my man, Ryan, Michael Pafford. We are, we are on the, by the way, I'm going sailing this weekend. Weather permitting, I'm going sailing. The yacht dream is coming ever closer. Uh, let's see, Sony, hi, Sony. Good to see you here, as always. Uh, who else do we have? Anna Sophia, well, you're up early, Anna. Actually, I guess it's 10 o'clock your time, but you're in the chat early. Nice to see you. There's Fran. What's going on? Fantastic. Let's see. Wendy says is here. Now, Wendy wanted the Wendy wanted the tune. She wanted to walk between raindrops. Huckabuck 411. What's going on? Good morning. Good to see you. There she is, the beautiful one herself, checking in. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? What goes up must come down. Cowboy in our spinning wheel. Got to go around. Talking about your troubles, it's a cry and sin, ride a painted pony, let the spin and wheel spin. It's a great song. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Blood, Sweat, and Tears was, you know, they had that period where brass and a rock band was really popular. You had Blood, Sweat, and Tears, you had Chicago, you had the Ides of March. On the California side, you had Sly and the Family Stone, Tower Power. Brass and the rock band was a big deal. I think Rare Earth had a little brass. Of course, Casey and the Sunshine Band, which is not really a rock band, more of a funk band, but they had brass. Blood, Sweat, and Tears were a big deal for a while. David Clayton Thomas, good voice. Uh, suddenly the wheels are in motion. I'm ready to sail any ocean. Oh my God, you said that. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, somebody, good friend of the show, 
ask you to play. Um, have you ever been mellow? By Olivia Newton-John. I, and I love my, I love this person. She's a good friend, known her for a very long time, very supportive of the show. Actually, a person that went from like, um, you know, 40 to 3D. Actually met the person nicer in person, believe it or not. Not that she's not nice on, online, but nicer in person. And um, she asked me to play, have you ever been mellow? And it pained me to tell her no. It pained me because I don't like saying no, especially to people who support the show. But there are a list of songs that are permanently etched in my brain, like an acid etching that it will never get over. And that is one of those songs. That is one of those songs. I can't play it. I just can't play it. Um, so I said, okay, well, let me, let me see if I can redeem Olivia Newton-John. Let me go deep into the Olivia Newton-John catalog and nothing, nothing, nothing even remotely resembling yacht. So I thought, okay, what about, what about, uh, what about a remix? Let me find an Olivia Newton-John remix. Maybe I can play that. So she was in this movie Xanadu, which was a big bomb. They just thought that they could put her in a musical and that she was just musical money. She was a musical cash register because of Greece. So they put her in Xanadu um, with Gene Kelly, of all people. And then I think ELO did a lot of the soundtrack. And on the surface, it sounds really good. But when you listen to it, it really is garbage. It's, I'm sorry, it's garbage. And I even listened to some of the remix. I'm like, maybe you got a good remix here. It's like, no, there's no remix here that I'm really feeling. So I, I, I did my best. Now, she did bring up this line. Maybe you can play suddenly the wheels are in motion and I'm ready to sail any ocean. She actually brought that up. Can you play that song? Well, I just played the quote. Thank you for bringing that up, Pepperbuck 411. Um, maybe that's who that is. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, let's see. There's my man, Steve Thor at the door. What's going on, brother? Good to see you. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? DJ MC. Good morning, back at you. Uh, SJS, Trump's, Trump page show up again. Yep. The, that whole eight thing with Trump, right? What was his, what was his number for texting? What was it 8022? Something like 80022. Like text that number. And uh, you would, you could, uh, you could, what is it, uh, uh, contribute to the Trump coffers, and that the arrest took place 800 days after the 311 of COVID. So all these eights are showing up. Thanks for the reminder, SJS. Arlene Vega's here. Greetings back at you. Good to see you. Uh, there's Birdie. Morning, Birdie. Always deeply love Donald Fagan's voice. He's got an interesting voice. That's for sure. Is Melissa by the Allman Brothers on the yacht? No. I love the song. I love the song. It's not there. By the way, I've been expanding. I've really been trying to expand the parameters of yacht. 
And it's actually led to an interesting uh, journey through music and artists and albums that I have did not pay a lot of attention to during like the late seventies and early eighties. So I started to listen to this kind of crossover area between smooth jazz and yawn. And there are tracks that kind of hit that, they hit that, uh, hit that mark. I was listening to Stanley Clark and George Duke last night. And there's a track that they have. It is like 80% yacht. 85% yacht. And then it kind of goes somewhere else. Like, should I put it on the yacht? And I have a George Duke track on the yacht. The Duke, uh, the Clark Duke track probably should be there. Then I was listening to uh, Valdez in the Country by Donny Hathaway, which is a great song. And Donny Hathaway is such an, uh, an amazing talent who unfortunately suffered from a form of schizophrenia and lost his mind. Uh, and he could, Donny Hathaway could play any instrument, he had perfect pitch. He was incredible, of course. He's known for um, the song, Where Is The Love with Roberta Flack. Uh, that, was their, that was their big hit together. <clears throat> and their voices just, you know, blended seamlessly. So I went through Donny Hathaway's catalog. And I've always liked Valdez in the country. And it's, I'm listening to it. It's the one instrumental that he did. And Donny Hathaway could have easily gone off of the jazz and been a superstar uh, when you listen to that track. And I'm like, yeah, it's yacht, it's yacht, it's yacht, it's yacht. And all of a sudden, he gets into this keyboard solo that is like taking you off right to the shores of dissonance, which isn't really that yachty. And it's like, yeah, oh yeah, I, I, it's like, I, I, we got the groove, but you're, but you're, 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 you're fading out, you're, you're fuzzing out, you're, you're coming up against the shore in that groove, and all of a sudden it gets pulled back and comes back into the song. Like, do I, do I put Valdez in the country on the yacht? I'm not sure. So then I got into um, Ronnie Laws. I, have, I haven't gone back into Hubert Laws' catalog. So I started listening to Ronnie Laws' music, and I actually found a Ronnie Laws track that probably could be on the yacht. But I went back and I listened to his catalog, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting music. Like Ronnie Laws, and I knew Ronnie Laws' music. He's a jazz artist. Uh, he and his brother Hubert come from uh, Houston, Texas. Both great players. Uh, and I'm like, wow, this guy has some really interesting fucking music. And I need to go back and listen to Ronnie Laws' catalog again. So I'm like, what about, what about somebody like Frankie Beverly? I wonder if Frankie Beverly and Mays have a sneaky yacht track. And Frankie Beverly is an R&B singer from the Bay Area. That's where Mays is from, very popular in the Bay Area. Super nice guy, really, really nice guy. And I started listening to the, uh, to the Mays catalog last night. I'm like, wow, there's some really great music on here. The production is, you know, top notch. Um, the arrangements are great. Frankie's got a great voice, but I determined it's not Yacht. There's one maze track that is kind of borderline Yacht. So the whole thing has been a good exercise for me to go back and, and listen to artists that I knew about. I used to have a Ronnie Laws record. I think it's called Pressure. Um, and there's a, there's a jazz fusion track on that record that is probably one of the best jazz fusion tracks of all time. It, I think I played it a long time ago. It's really bouncy and upbeat. Anyway, it's been a good exercise. And I'm actually discovering artists that um, 
I knew about that never really spent any time with their catalogs. Like there's another band from that era, kind of late 70s, early 80s called Electricity. And I'm like, oh, these guys are kind of interesting. Anyway, it's been, a, I mean, for me, it's been good to get on the yacht and try to find some of these tracks. And then as a process of discovery, rediscovery, finding music. And the reason I'm doing it is because there ain't a lot of new music out there. All right, who else do we have? Um, let's see. Capricorn, Donald Fagan, and Cap Moon today. Good call, Bertie. Fagan is a Capricorn, isn't he? Oh my God, he looks like a Capricorn. There's not a, there's not a, a scintilla of sentimentality in Donald Fagan. Although maybe as he's gotten older, uh, that might have changed. He's a total Capricorn, and even like bringing in all the musicians and having like 10 guys play the same guitar solo and him being the CEO and saying, we'll take that one, right? That is so Capricorn, he's the boss. Um, let's see, who else do we have? Hey, here's Cremo. What's out, what's going on? Good to see you, I was thinking about you this morning. Uh, too upbeat for yacht. The thing about the, the uh, the walk between dewdrops track is that it that song goes back to Fagan's early days with stuff like Tin Pan Alley. That's a that's a Tin Pan Alley tune, and it's whimsical. And I, you know, for him, it's great because he's such a dark and cynical character. It's like this one moment, and it's not a very long song. Was it like two minutes and? 43 seconds, it's under three minutes. And it even harkens back to a time where when you had a song on the radio, that's really what you wanted. You wanted it under three minutes. Anytime you got it above three minutes, it was considered like, uh-oh, this is three minutes and 43 seconds. This is really gonna try people's attention because we got to get as many records in and sell as many ads as possible, which is really what the formula was. But even that uh, time limit for the record is symbolic of something from another time, right? It's like, that was the time limit that he listened to when he was younger. And I think there's even a little bit of, there's a little, it's, you can't quite hear it, but it's almost like doo-wop. A little bit, there's a little bit of doo-wop in that song. You can kind of hear some of the, the post straight vocal doo-wop arrangements. Okay, Howdy's doing all right. I've been talking to Howdy. I need to talk to him a bit more. Mark M is here. What's going on, Brother Mark? Um, let's see, who else do we have? Neo Wise is here as well. Miss Nikia checking in. We've got a strong chat today. Like this is the chat all-star lineup. Um, Sony says, Birdie, I'm going to preface this with I Can't Sing. But one of my karaoke amongst friends song is hopelessly devoted to you, more of a joke. Maybe we'll do some karaoke at the event this year. I've been thinking about that actually. We'll bust out the karaoke machine and we'll set up a, uh, a yacht, kind of the deck of a yacht, and we'll do karaoke on the final night. How does that sound? I like the sound of that. 
I like the sound of that. We'll load my computer up with Yacht Classics. And we'll, it'll be perfect. It'll be the final night and, and it'll, it'll, we'll sail off, right? It's like disembarking from the event. Perfect. Done. All right. Uh, who else do we have here? Taze. What's going on, Taze? And this is a strong chat. Drag as an entertainment, not as a lifestyle. Flip was hella funny. He was very funny. Empath with a, a pre, not prescient, but um, spot on comment here. Slowly turning up the heat on the frogs in the pot so they don't jump out. Based on model, that would be entirely true. Entirely. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Ba -ba 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 -ba. Scary how FBI is so controlled. I think the FBI has been infiltrated by a foreign agency. That's what I think. I'll let you guys figure out which foreign agency I'm talking about. Uh, if you still think politicians are going to save your rear end and you go down with the agenda, you haven't learned a damn thing. Christine has a, uh, a very valid point there. Still confused about Mars and Gemini. So Mars and Gemini is restless. Restless. I'll give you a good example of Mars and Gemini. I think we're all here. Uh, I see you follow Donnie Darkens on Twitter. Absolutely fascinating how the AIDS plays such a huge part in his existence, yes. Yeah. Um, do I follow, do I follow, is it? I don't even remember who I follow sometimes. Somebody follows me, I follow them back. That's my rule on Twitter. And every now and then on Twitter, I'll see like somebody who I follow and they'll post something, I'll go, what the fuck? And you know, more than one what the fuck gets my attention. I'm like, you know what? I'm unfollowing you. I'm just not into what you're bringing to the party. I'm not. I'm not interested in what you're bringing uh, to the uh, to the picnic. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? Holly Beth is here. Uh, we've been talking about. We've been talking about. Uh, a yacht. Because we're going to sail away. Sail away, not slip away, sail away. Anyway. Public property records showed Sandy Hook Elementary have been closed for three years. Of course. And, they're, and what they're doing now, they're using this event with Alex Jones to take down any and all material that's related to Sandy Hook. I mean, when Sandy Hook broke, you have to be, uh, if, you, if you were looking at things and you were looking at things with your eyes wide open and you weren't putting those, making those connections, you needed to resharpen your focus because they were leaving broken Easter eggs all over the place with Sandy Hook. And even the timing of Sandy Hook, 
People talk about how after Sandy Hook, all those mortgages got paid off. Well, that's a timing issue. The other thing with Sandy Hook that a lot of people seem to forget is it happened just before the so-called flip of the Mayan calendar. Like they baked that event in there right at the end. Like, why did they do that? Why did it happen then, right? Remember, remember, uh, nice uncle Eugene? Oh, I just felt so bad for those kids. Yeah, I just saw them. They came up to my door. Who's this? Uh, Belvedere, California. Okay, hold on. I, can't, I gotta call you later. Um, it felt so bad for those kids. You know, they used to come over here and I have all these stuffed animals in my, in my house and they come over. Right, first of all, why is this fucking old dude got a shit ton of stuffed animals in his house and that these kids from the school supposedly come over and hang out? And, you know, they're my friends and they come over and play with my stuffed animals and they didn't know what to do with it. Not a tear, not a tear, not a tear. Uncle Gene. Nobody ever really like questioned that. Like, why is this old pervert got all these stuffed animals in his house and supposedly he invites the kids over? Does that make any sense? It makes no sense at all. None whatsoever. Yeah, the school had been closed for three years. They had asbestos problems. And of course, at the end, they tear it down. The day before, they held a drill there, which not a lot of people talk about. But they baked this right into just before 2012 flips. And you have to wonder whether or not that this is somehow connected to this weird timeline stuff that we seem to be stuck in this weird um, Groundhog Day, where here we are in 2022, 10 years after this whole thing, it comes up, right? It comes up and, and it does what it needs to do. It's like a time bomb for the future that's set to go off. So now all the stuff that has been out there and people did a lot of hard work on and try to untangle this thing. Um, they're going to remove that. So what we're seeing here is the beginning of the evacuation of content, which I've talked about. I talked about it last week. Well, that's dangerous and that's dangerous and that's dangerous and that's dangerous. Then you have the UN coming in and basically, or UNESCO coming in saying, you know, this whole idea that there's a group of elites secretly conspiring to run the world is dangerous and, and must, be, uh, must be dealt with. Well, they're right. They're not secretly doing it. They're doing it out in the open. And that part is easy to see. So, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Trump today. The ongoing battle. And, and what they're doing now is that they're using Trump to rebrand and pivot. 
the Democratic Party and the left, they are now calling out Trump, quote unquote, patriots, people that believe in traditional values, Christians, Christian nationalists, which is now a big deal. They're branding all of them as extremists. Like everybody became almost overnight uh, David Koresh, Ted Kaczynski, and Timothy McVeigh overnight, right? So you have, you have Timothy McVeigh, who is the quote, quote, patriot. You have Ted Kaczynski, who is an extremist. And you have David Koresh, who is a religious fanatic. Like that's just how they've rebranded the so-called right or people that don't want to play, you know, in, the, in their Skinner box, in their particular Skinner box. And it's, you know, it's a brilliant strategy. You, you, you polarize everybody. And then you put this side over here, whose values are incredibly dubious, incredibly dubious, and on the surface, beyond dubious, egregious. And the only way that you can agree upon those values is if you are on that side. And so you have to either believe that those values represent some form of progress, hence the word progressive, or you may not believe it, but you're going to go along with it anyway, because the other side's values seem much more um, aberrant, right? Aberrant and abhorrent. Two, two words, sound similar, mean different things, but they're related here. So you're going to look at that. Well, I don't want any of that. Let me go over here where I can get a hug. I'll get a hug over here. Oh, come, on, come over here, you, you big fat tranny. With your, with your big latex boobies, let me give you a big hug. Because those people over there are mean and nasty and they want to take away all of our rights. You see how the game works? This is how it works. You create this polarity. I was talking with um, a client and somebody who's very astute last night. And uh, in fact, they'd even done their, their dissertation on guess who, Paulo Freire, somebody who knows what's going on at a pretty deep level, right? And I said, the trap here is getting caught in this polaric opposition. And again, it comes down to the Hatfield and the McCoy thing too. It's like, well, shit, who's, you know, whose side, you know, which side are you gonna pick? It always comes down to this. And even Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live, he basically calls Keith David out. Keith David says, well, you know, I just want to collect my paycheck and send my, my, money home to my wife and kids and live my life. Like, Keith David represents that mentality. And Roddy Piper says, you know what happens when you're in the middle of the road? He said, you'll get hit. And there's some truth to that, right? There is some truth to that. Although every now and then, because uh, God loves children, uh, drunks, and at times the uh, uh, mentally impaired, you could be in the middle of the road and not get hit. But don't count on it. Especially if the road is a very thin line. Don't count on it. Especially out here in hill country, where you have semi trucks 
in the fast lane, and if you're in the middle of the road, you're going to get hit. Trust me. So this is how they set the game up. You got to pick a side. Oh shit! Well, those people over there, you know, they're 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 worshiping, you know, latex boobs and uh, you know, rainbow dildo monkey man at gay pride parade. For kids, like, do I want to be on that side? Well, okay, well, I'll go over here. Well, over there, it's better. It's better over there. Like, okay, free speech, good, we like that. Property rights, good, we like that. Second Amendment, yeah, good, we like that. Like, there are things over there that are good, but then you run into, like, some of the weird religious stuff on that side. And again, I have no beef with people who take on a religious faith that is more orthodox. I would consider myself a spiritual person who sometimes leans into quote-unquote religion, sometimes, but more spiritual than religious. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. I have no beef with anybody that's a Christian unless they're a fucking wacko, in which case I have a beef with any wacko. And I mean real wacko, not fake wackos, real wackos. It's like, oh, okay. You're, you're, you're assigning me to the pits of hell. You're calling me a necromancer because I, use, I look at astrology. Necromancer is the summoning of the dead to communicate with them so that you can get the wisdom that would be bestowed upon you by God, but you're getting it from the dead. That's a necromancer. I'm not a necromancer. Never have, never will be. But we got this Polaric game going on. So I talked about this yesterday, and we're going to get into Trump again uh, and cruise down some of the uh, highways and byways of the dawn. We have to be aware of the Polaric game. And at the same time, we also cannot be the person in the middle. Because it's, that's not a great position, period, in the story. You can't be the ostrich with its head in the sand. So we have to be aware of what's going on. And we have to retain our humanity without becoming a doormat. Because that's what happens. Right? There's this whole thing is a spectrum. So if you go far to, too far to this side, like uh, Roger Waters is a great example of that. Who I think is... Absolutely fascinating, and I can't stand him. Because Roger Waters is what I'm talking about. He'll talk about humanity, we're humans, you know, uh, I'm anti-war, I'm, in, I'm anti, you know, I'm, I'm basically a socialist misanthrope. And if you are anybody that doesn't agree with my social misanthropy, you're on my list. Socialist misanthropy. Because he's a socialist. His father was a card-carrying a communist slash socialist. And look, splitting hairs, but they're one in the same, pretty much. And I was watching an interview with uh, Waters, who is still touring. Give him credit for that. He's not just rolling out the old hits, like the Rolling Stones who turn themselves into a caricature and become a tribute band unto themselves. 
but he actually makes new music. I don't really like his music. I was never a huge fan of Pink Floyd. I know it's a sacrilege to say that. There are certain songs I like. I think Dark Side of the Moon is a classic. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of Pink Floyd. You know why? Because they don't fucking rock all the time. They're not yacht and they don't rock. Okay? That's my complaint about Pink Floyd. And they talk about things that are very English. And I don't really have a problem with that. Genesis does the same thing. But Genesis is more kind of lyrical and kind of mystical. And, you know, Genesis is going to take you on a journey. Pink Floyd, I don't know. And he got into it, this guy, what's his name? Uh, Michael Chernomish, or what, Chernomish, I think it's Michael Chernomish. I think that's his name. And he's one of these guys that CNN trots out. Um, he's got a bald head, and he looks just like that guy, Vouchy, or Velchi, Velchi, Velchi. They look the same. It's like, what, 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 did they, what did they just make these guys in the, uh, in the my labs? The bald-headed dudes that were supposed to have some kind of gravitas. Anyway, this Chernomish guy is interviewing Roger Waters. And they're going through this debate. Now, Roger Waters, the one thing I can say about Waters is that he has equal amounts of hate for Trump and Biden. At least he's an equal opportunity misanthrope. Equal opportunity socialist misanthrope. Good for him. But they were defending Russia in World War II. That it was Russia that saved us from the fascists. It was Russia that did it. And who was the United States fighting for in that war? They were fighting for Russia. The United States was fighting for the Soviet Union against the Germans. Make no, mistake, make no mistake about that. FDR was totally aligned with Joe Stalin. FDR loved Joe Stalin. FDR wished he could be Joe Stalin. He had serious, serious Stalin envy. Um, that's what happened, right? So, so England has this weird indebtedness to the Soviets. Not Russia so much anymore, but they had this weird indebtedness. Oh, if it wasn't for the Soviets, we'd all be speaking German now, which I think is a great misconception, but that's a whole other story. So the English, and I've talked about this before, they like jump on socialism after the war. They're into it, man. They're into it because they see socialism and, and communism and the Soviets as the antidote to fascism. Fascism being the thing that bombed the shit out of London, right? Scarring, traumatized. The English are traumatized. So their, their, their trauma easily moves them over into the, into the socialist bucket. So when England gets all these social programs and all the stuff that they're you know, enacting to rebuild the country during post-war uh, English society, they're into it. Like, yeah, okay. The government becomes the parent. There's a shift from the theoretical uh, crown. And that shift, by the way, is a pretty recent thing. Like World War I, you see the shift between the royal families 
and the quote-unquote nation-states of Europe. And they have two wars, and they're going to drop the map. And they're going to slice and dice, but the crowns are behind everything still. They just have their, their, their puppets out front, right, that are so-called representing their version of democracy. And Europe was just an absolute battleground. I mean, even after World War II, you, you have Project Gladio, and you have all this incredibly violent stuff going off around Europe. Italy was a big, big place where Project Gladio was happening. France, to some extent, Spain, but not as much because <clears throat> Franco ran Spain with an iron fist. So you really couldn't get away with a lot of shit in Spain. But Italy was rife for the Gladio stuff. So what happens, <clears throat> excuse me, they use Gladio to disarm Western Europe. It's like, okay, well, we're going to disarm Western Europe. We don't want another war. We're going to make sure that Germany doesn't have a standing army, which is pretty much what they did. Same thing with Japan. They, they, they basically said, okay, we'll help you, but you don't get a standing army. I mean, even Germany's um, case, I don't think they helped them very much. In fact, they took more money than they gave. Japan got money. Japan got the Marshall Plan, and they, they did really well post-World War II. Incredibly well. Germany did well too, but it wasn't it had nothing to do with what they were getting from the so-called allies. Um, anyway, Roger Waters, it, it, it's like, and he thinks he's so fucking smart. Well, read a book. You need to read more books, Michael. That's what he said. You need to read more books. Well, anybody can read a fucking book, but what book are you reading? And again, it's like, well, that's rubbish. That book is rubbish. Oh, is it really rubbish? Maybe you need to reevaluate your, uh, your, your political wiring here. Anyway, so he's going on. Roger Waters is going on against Biden. He's calling Biden a war criminal. Imagine that. I don't even think Biden's around anymore. So let's get into the Trump stuff. We're about... Uh, an hour into the show. But we have been talking about it, about it directly, indirectly. It's all part of the uh, part of the mix here. Um, let me go over here for a second. Let's find out where we are, the latest. All right, so I'm just gonna read you some of the new pieces here. Uh, this is from Raheem Kassam, who used to spend a lot of time over on Steve Bannon's world. And I'm just finding this right now as we speak. And this is from his website called or website that he writes for called the uh, National Pulse. So let's look at this article here. It talks about the judge. Because they had to have a judge allow this. Judge Bruce Reinhardt, who's reportedly the most likely judge behind the warrant authorizing the raid on former Donald Trump, Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, is a former attorney who represented employees of convicted sex offender and notorious pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein. 
The National Pulse can also reveal that Judge Reinhardt has donated to the campaigns of former President Barack Obama and to the establishment opponents of Donald J. Trump during the 2016 election, including Jeb Bush. Politico, the news outlet closest uh, linked to the establishment of Washington, D.C., named Reinhardt in their morning playbook email on Tuesday, 9th August, 2022. Who signed the warrant? Uh, a source said FBI agents obtained a search warrant from a federal magistrate judge in West Palm Beach report the Miami Herald's Alex uh, Rorty, Michael Wilner, and Jay Weaver, according to its website, the West Palm Beach location of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida has three magistrates, Judge Bruce Reinhardt, Judge William Matthewman, and Judge Ryan McCabe. The court's online database shows two recent warrant applications, both assigned to Reinhardt, were entered into its system on Monday the information about those targets of those warrants is sealed. So it's pretty clear that this guy was the guy who executed the warrant. As reported by the Miami Herald, Judge Reinhardt began representing Epstein's employees on January 2nd, 2008. So at that time, he was a lawyer for a firm. Uh, just one day after departing the U.S. Attorney's Office, where he served as an assistant U.S. Attorney closely involved convicted Pedophile's case. Okay, so he was a U.S. attorney. Let's clear that up. Accused of leveraging inside information about Epstein's investigation to curry favor with Epstein in 2011. So he was accused of leveraging inside information. Interesting. Who's that sound like? Alan fucking Dershowitz. He was named as a prosecutor who allegedly violated the rights of an underage girl whom Epstein solicited sex from in the Crimes Victims' Rights Act lawsuit. Reinhardt appears to have exploited his role in the U.S. Attorney's Office to launch a private criminal defense practice. None of this comes to surprise anybody. On October 23, 2007, as federal prosecutors in South Florida were in the midst of tense negotiations to finalize a plea deal with accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, the senior prosecutor in their office was quietly laying out plans to leave the U.S. Attorney's Office after 11 years on that date, as emails were flying between Epstein's lawyers and federal prosecutors, Bruce E. Reinhardt, now a federal magistrate, opened a limited liability company in Florida that established will become his new criminal defense practice. And then I guess he becomes a judge. Reinhardt insisted that he never represented Epstein himself, only Epstein's pilots his scheduler, Sarah Kellen, and Nadia Marcinkova, described by some victims as Epstein's sex life. So the guy who was the judge who signed the warrant to go into Mar-a-Lago was defending Epstein's employees. Huh. Interesting. Reinhardt has also participated in Newsmax interviews. Not to offend anybody, but I have a different name for Newsmax. Uh, let's see. Appearing to defend Epstein by downplaying allegations of offenders here and his associates soliciting underage prostitutes. Do you want to see this guy in action? Let's see, let's see him in action. Let's, uh, let's hear him. Let me make sure I've got the, the hookup, because sometimes 
I'll play audio and you won't get the hookup. All right, let's hear the hook. Let's hear this. This is um, Bruce Reinhardt on Newsmax. Joining us now, Bruce Reinhardt, former federal prosecutor, co-chair of White Collar and Government Compliance Practice Group. He looks like a weasel. Look at him. Counselor, good to have you here. On the other side of the Atlantic, the palace adamantly denying Prince Andrew was involved in any way. You had a legal analysis on what's happening there. Is he basically uh, safe from prosecution? And whether he's safe from, yes, I think he's safe from prosecution uh, for a lot of reasons. One, it's unlikely that the U.S. government would go after a member of the royal family, whether he has diplomatic immunity or not. I think that's unlikely. And, and the accusations in this case are very old. And while the statute of limitations may not have run, I think it's unlikely that they would pursue something after all this time. Bruce, we know Alan Dershowitz has called for his accusers to be disbarred. Do you think that this is possible? Anything's possible. The, the fight that's going on here, if I could for a second explain, the the case that's pending right now is that victims of Mr. Epstein are claiming that the U.S. government didn't give them their rights before they cut a deal with Mr. Epstein. And what happened is another victim came forward and said she wanted to be involved in the case. And to justify being involved in the case, she had to put forward facts saying why she was a victim. And in that pleading is where she named Professor Dershowitz and Prince Andrew. What Mr. Professor Dershowitz is upset about and is complaining about is, you didn't need to put my name into this. That wasn't necessary. And that, he is arguing, was unethical. Um, and it's possible, depending on what state bar is involved, that it very well may have been unethical, and that'll be for someone else to decide. So what he's, what he's missing the boat on here is that maybe she put him in because he was involved, right? So they twist the argument, well, it, it, Dersh is it's not ethical. Why are you dragging me into this? He's already proclaiming his innocence, and this is unethical. Well, why don't you let a fucking court figure that out? And this is what this guy is defending, is uh, Dershowitz's position. Let's get back to that uh, article. I've had enough of him. Another wonk. Uh, Reinhardt donated twice to Obama. Uh, Obama's campaign in 2008 totaling $2,000. Not big money. Who was appointed, uh, Reinhardt, who was appointed U.S. Magistrate in March 2018, March 2018, uh, that's under Trump, am I right? So did Trump appoint this guy? Who appointed him? Also donated to the campaign of Trump rival Jeb Bush in 2015. Uh, the unearthed links come as Reinhardt is believed to have signed off on a warrant responsible for the raid on Trump's Palm Beach estate, a source said FBI agents obtained a search warrant from a federal magistrate judge. Politico explained that three of the magistrate judges in that office, two recent warrant applications, both of which were assigned to Reinhardt, were entered into the system, which we already know. All right, so we got a guy here who uh, was bailing water for Epstein. Surprise, surprise. But he's the guy signing the warrant. Uh, let's see. What's interesting, I'll, I'll tell you a little interesting story here. There's somebody who listens to the show and uh, I communicate with maybe once a week. Nice person. 
interesting person, smart person. Uh, her BF actually works uh, in Secret Service. And uh, this is somebody who, former intel, right? So this is somebody who I communicate with. And she said that um, her boyfriend actually gave Trump a ride the other day as part of the detail. And these were her words, not mine, that he was the nicest and kindest person to her BF who was driving the car. Those are her words. It's just a little trivia. It has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about per se. Just something that came up yesterday uh, on my feed. So here we go. Um, it's all coming down here, right? It is, it is all coming down. Trump drops major 2024 hint with new campaign ad hours after deep state declares political war on him. Oh, they just now declared political war on him? Really? Is that something new? I don't think it's, there's anything new at all about it. When we get into Trump world, it gets very tangled. It gets really, really tangled. You look at, uh, and, and in Biden world too, everybody, everyone of Biden's kids married somebody who was Jewish. Look it up. Everyone of Trump's kids married somebody who was Jewish. That's a known fact. Same with Biden. So when you get into Trump world, you have to go into uncomfortable places, right? You have to look at people like Jared Kushner, who proposed to, and theoretically, got Trump's blessing to marry the shining light of his life. Right, Ivanka? And Jared Kushner's father was a shitbag who got busted big time in New Jersey, did prison time. And one of the things he did prison time for was threatening his brother-in-law and planning a scheme to set up and extort his brother-in-law so he wouldn't testify against him. Charles Kushner and the Kushner family are like just about any other family who have power, money, and influence, that they're a gang family. And so that's exactly what he was doing. And he'd been in prison. I'm not sure if Ivanka started seeing Jared when he got out or when it doesn't matter. But Trump's like, yeah, sure, great family. Yeah, let's marry into that family. But then what happens? Trump pardoned Charles Kushner, one of the last things he did. Basically, he removed any of the tarnish and the stain from Charles Kushner's record by his presidential pardon. Trump had deep ties to people like Sheldon Adelson. Um, you know, it's, the record is there. Sheldon Adelson gave him a shit ton of money and it was Sheldon Adelson who convinced Trump, nagged at Trump, 
day after day after day, more than likely, to move the fucking embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was, that was Sheldon Adelson's uh, big, big, big contribution to one of his big contributions to Trump's legacy. And to fulfill some degree of biblical prophecy, I talked about his relationship with Wilbur Ross, who bailed him out twice when he came to bankruptcy, Wilbur Ross being a de facto agent of the Rothschilds here in this country, George Soros bailed him out of uh, his Trump Tower building in Chicago. Why do you think Trump never went after George Soros? He never talked about George Soros. Why? Because he pulled Trump's rump out of the out of the fire. That's all part of the public record. I'm not making anything up. I'm not making anything up here. So when you go into Trump world, you go into weird places with a lot of this stuff, right? Just weird. You know, when Trump was president, there were two synagogue shootings. Both of them linked to Chabad, which is a group that Jared and Ivanka are closely connected to. You had the Chabad shooting in Pittsburgh and the other one in Poway, both uh, P-towns. That happened on Trump's watch. And very dubious, incre incredibly dubious. If I'm not mistaken, Jared Kushner's brother was somehow involved with that uh, synagogue temple in Pittsburgh, pretty sure about that. And then the guy, the, the, uh, the rabbi from the one in Poway actually visited the white, you know, the one who got his hand shot or whatever, visited the White House, Trump gave him a Medal of Honor. Well, he was indicted later on for taking in all this money that had been sent to the synagogue and pocketing himself. Big, big fucking mistake. Right, so when you get into Trump world, there are a lot of really problematic things that you have to untangle. Right. Then there's the other side of this where you look at what's being done just in general and Trump becomes emblematic of those things. Right? He becomes this symbol. And what I've learned about Trump, whether it's um, part of the programming, the program, the simulation, and we witnessed this when he was president. Every time somebody came after Trump, something weird happened to them. Something really weird happened to them. He was consistent. There was almost like this um, supernatural boomerang. And I'm not saying that had anything to do with Trump's so-called morality. I, I'm not saying I had anything to do it. I just witnessed it. It was like, it was fucking weird. And shit would happen. So this will be an interesting test to see what happens. Again, from this weird kind of supernatural causal plane that sometimes these things can emerge from. And there's a ton about Trump that we just don't know about. There's a lot we don't know about. And there's a lot that we can speculate about. There's a lot of things that we can tie into, connect dots. We'll probably, I'll probably wind up talking about this for the rest of the week, more likely, because it's ongoing. 
And it will allow me to kind of use this as a point of departure for, um, you know, for the show. Because once I start to go down these rabbit holes, I find a bunch of shit. So we'll, 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 put, we'll keep this, keep the Trump thing, you know, on the front burner. We'll simmer the Trump on the front burner. And we'll pay attention to, you know, where all this... Apparently, Pelosi has still not come back from Asia. Now, that may have changed. But Pelosi is in Japan. And when is she coming back to the States? And why is she gone? Why is she out of the States when this is happening? I mean, these are all tangential questions. But they're questions worth asking. I mean, why not? You know, what else, what else do we have to... Uh, um, you know, play with right now. Because let's face it, culture has become not very interesting. Okay, so somebody from uh, Belvedere, California. I know where Belvedere is. Belvedere is your uh, Tiburon. It's a lovely part of California. Let's decline that. Call them back. Um, and I haven't even really talked about these 87,000 IRS agents. I did yesterday a little bit. And there's a theory I ran across on the internet that makes sense. So I'm going to share it with you. Is that they have been hired to physically seize property against future, um, future estate tax, right, future capital gains. Like, they could say, oh, that's ours now. Because, you know, you're not declaring that, but we can see that it's gonna be part of your future capital gains. It's like leverage, it's almost like um, a balance. That, I believe that's gonna happen. Because it's a way of dismantling property rights. Personal property. Property rights aren't just your house. It's theoretically the car you own. By the way, you don't own your car. Whenever you register your car, the state owns your car. You're leasing it back from the state. Sneaky, isn't it? But this is where this will go, right? And they have been sending a shit ton of money to Ukraine. This is what we're led to believe. Billions and billions of dollars. Now they just signed this new fucking Green New Deal bill. And who's going to pay for it? I'll tell you who it's really going to hit. It's really going to hit people making over $400,000 a year. They are coming after you big time. This, this, is, this is the final wrecking ball to the middle class. The final wrecking ball. And they just hired 87,000 theoretical IRS agents to perform the roles of collecting the dues of the so-called middle class. That's something to keep an eye on. Why? Well, they want to divest you of your property. They want to divest you of ownership. The whole idea of ownership is arrogant. The whole idea of ownership is systemic. Because they'll link ownership of property to slaves. And slaves theoretically were property, right? So they'll just do this woke math. They'll, they'll do the critical math. 
They say, well, it's an extension of slavery. You can't own that. Because in order, this is, and this is, um, this is the catechism of critical race theory, that slavery is systemic, that anything that's related to slavery, including the idea of ownership, must be eliminated. Because ownership brings up the memory of being owned. Now, I've talked about this before on other shows, and I've talked about what I believe to be the hidden history of what happened with the so-called indigenous peoples of this country and how it's related to a prior civilization and how that all got rewritten and how they started groups like the NAACP and invested in somebody like uh, Du Bois and Du Bois being a, uh, a member, one of the early members of the Boule, who was also a socialist. The whole idea of socialism, and I've talked about this again before, is that it's been around a long time, right? It's been around a long time. You go back to the early 1800s, again, supposedly in this country, and you'll find socialist and Marxist theory. Horace Greeley, who was the publisher of what, uh, not the New York Post, not the New York Times, just the New York Sentinel or whatever his fucking paper was. Horace Greeley printed over 1,500 editorials by Karl Marx to disseminate Marx's ideas into uh, the populace here. And even here, and I've said this before as well, in Texas, the Germans who were you know, kind of a byproduct of the great revolutions of 1848, where you saw this mass migration happening from Europe, they came to the Hill Country and they started basically two systems here in the Hill Country. They started one system that was based on the ideas and the theories of Marx. And they were called, they were called the free thinkers. That's what they were called. That was their, their moniker, the free thinkers. And there was another group that were not the free thinkers and they were kind of more of your kind of, uh, you know, German merchant class people that were looking for a place to get the fuck out of the revolutions in Texas was, you know, the place that was advertising for people to come to. So they came here and the, the, the Marxist outposts, they all withered and died because everybody wanted to be a fucking leader. Everybody wanted to be equal and a leader, right? But they couldn't take any kind of instruction or direction. Those places are gone. And, you know, I could, I know of one off the top of my head, strange name called, called Babyhead, believe it or not, Babyhead, weird, weird name for a place. But I could go through and hit the Wikipedia, name at least four or five of these places. Even Lukenbach is kind of a ghost town now, although they weren't part of it. Um, but that's what happened here. Like, there was like, okay, here you go. You're fresh off the boat. You're inspired by Marx. His sister even moved here to, um, I think she lived in Sistervale, believe it or not. Marx is, apparently Marx moved here, or, or not moved here, but he visited here. So here you go. You got, you got all these resources. Land, water, mosquitoes aplenty. You could practice your social Marxist theory with uh, the Apache. Or the Comanche, the Comanche, 
The Comanche, you can practice with the Comanche. I'm sure they'll be open to Marx's ideas. Great, here's your, here's your laboratory. Here's your chance to make it work. And what happened? It failed miserably because nobody wanted to work. And that's a fact. I don't know how we got here, but that's where we're pulling in the out today. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna look at this stuff, and we're we're gonna. Uh, oh, I know how we got here. Really, it's it has to do with what I would call the uh, the fiction of slavery. And I'm not saying that there weren't people that were in bondage and servitude. Well, that was happening, but how they have portrayed it and how it has become the centerpiece of the struggle, that's a whole different thing. And maybe we'll revisit some of that tomorrow. But uh, we'll definitely be following what happens with Trump and the rhetoric. It, 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 this is, for all intents and purposes, like the, uh, the striking of the match for a civil war. You know, I, I watched uh, Officer, Officer Tatum, that guy. For the most part, I like him. He's very entertaining. Ex-cop. I don't always agree with all his takes. But his headline, and I haven't watched his video, was like, it's on now, right? And this is a guy who... Uh, is part of Blexit with Candace Owens, and it's on, on now. So this is this is the the message that we're getting. This is the shot across the bow, and uh, buckle up, Buttercups, because this could get hot. It could get very hot, and again, you don't want to get drawn into the polaric bullshit and debate, but you also don't want to be stuck in the middle. So you have to protect your interests, your family's interests, um, if it extends that far, your community's interests, and to do it in a way um, that is, you know, for lack of a better term, truly American. Because I do believe that there are ideals that are embedded here, faulty as they may be. They're embedded, right? That's my two cents. And at some point, we all have to stand for something. And that point will come for each of us. We have to stand for something. And just make sure the thing you're standing for is the right thing. That you've connected all your centers. And that you know without a shadow of a doubt that is your hill to live or die on. Right, because everybody says, well, that's going to be my hill to die on. What about your hill to live on? Let's change the phraseology with that. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Um, we'll have plenty to talk about. Use your head in order to determine what's real. Your heart's as much as possible. Oh, true hem science. Check it out. I didn't do it. Chris, thank you. You're a sponsor of the show. We're here at the end of the show. And I was off into yacht land. Check out true hem science. Uh, and... Uh, Use uh, backslash trimscience.com backslash ref backslash 23 and use 15 mins, 15MINS as the code and get some free product. You spend 100 bucks. All right, take good care. 
Stay cool. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now.